Just yeah. as a warning, so don't do this at home. Uh, yes, of course. Don't of course. Your crypto, sorry. Still have your friendly neighborhood cryptographer have a look yes. at it. <laughs> This is the second half of the conversation with Tim and Peter. If you have not listened to the first half, I'd suggest going back and listening to that episode. We cover all sorts of fun things, including when to roll your own cryptography, why we prefer Schnorr signatures over ECDSA, Schnorr efficiency improvements, multi-sig, mu-sig, interactive versus non-interactive signing, frost, and more. So we're going to pick things back up talking about nesting. We'll cover roast, block-wide aggregation, adaptive signatures, atomic swaps, uh, this is a great conversation, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed recording it. So, frost sounds exciting, especially in when used in combination with music. There's this sort of idea for for the future called nesting. How could these ideas be combined yeah so um again like music is an, an event setup and frost is a t event setup where you just re require some subset but now you can think of co like combining or nesting those like in a in a three style uh, fashion so like for concreteness again maybe assume a uh, lightning channel is my standard example so let's say i have a lightning channel with peter I'm, I'm one participant like peter is on the other side and in this lightning channel um we can have a two of two music setup. Yeah, you have a hardware wallet and yeah, and whatever I mean, like, but on the top it's a two of two music uh for the lightning channel i mean it's not supported by lightning yet but hopefully it will be soon and then but on my side maybe for improved security i could have a hardware wallet or three hardware wallets and then just on my side for this part of the music for for my key in the music i want to have another threshold setup like if two of my hardware wallets agree then they can sign for just my part of the music so that's basically a two of two uh, music at the top and on my side it's a two of three yeah on it, that side of the tree it, it, it's like a, a two of two of a two of three and a single key and, and, in and yeah and, oh, and i could do key on, on, on your side and now you can go a step further like um you're like you shouldn't be even aware of the fact that i use a two of three under the hood first because of privacy right maybe i just don't want to reveal it but also just for simplicity but because like the lightning protocol spec shouldn't be concerned with uh, what i do locally with with my keys so i i don't want to reveal that i use a two of three not only for privacy reasons but also to keep the specification simple because then whenever like let's say in the future we i want to do something else with my keys for for every new use case in a sense or a key setup case we would need to change the lightning specification that's not, not what we want to do so this is the rough application idea of nesting. In this example, it would be a frost inside the music, but you could also like think of arbitrary combinations, like a music inside the music, uh, music inside the frost, and arbitrary trees. You, you and can and we in addition we, we we have other things too, like we have BIP32 derivation. Like, can you do a frost? set up between participants and then get an XPUB out that you can derive multiple keys from that all of them now may be signable. We, we believe that's the case, but... Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah. Or, or do use that inside Taproot. And, and <laughs> this is kind of interesting because that's actually what we today expect people to do. We don't actually have a security proof that the combination of those two is a secure thing. We have a proof for taproot signing, we have a proof for music signing. We have very good reasons to assume that you can just combine the two, but... Right, so this is like, there are a few open research questions here. So the first, like the thing you mentioned is this masting that I, that I talked about now. So in fact, when we came up with music too, what we actually wanted to solve is this nesting thing, because like we were thinking about nested music. How can we have a music inside the music? And it turned out like the first round of the protocol was really annoying. So uh, I had this idea of, how, okay, how can we do nesting? And it, like, it, it involved getting rid of the first round of the protocol in a sense, and this made it a two-round protocol. And um, it, it, It's kind of Im impressive that you kept thinking about it, because you must have had the realization, oh no, this first round is, is the problem, and <laughs> we know the proofs break without it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kept thinking about it for 
like every few months I, I spend a week on this and I all, it was never successful until it was so I was pretty happy about it but but anyway like I mean this is how how this idea of having two rounds started and actually like music two is designed with this use case in mind just we didn't include it in the music two paper because like we first wanted to have the two round scheme then and nesting basically was out of scope of the of the I just want I just want to double click on that like epiphany moment cuz I've obviously never had one of those myself, but um, as an engineer, sometimes you have the, I'm trying this thing, I'm trying this thing, I can't figure out an elegant way, and then it clicks. Does it feel like that? Or is it like, I'm throwing, like sort of from a research perspective, like I'm throwing a lot of different ideas at this thing and trying to prove them out and one of them clicks? Like, how- it's, it's hard to say. I think like usually... The, the way you, you get ideas is that you have problems in your mind and then you think about them and you think about them and you, you don't get a solution. And then some, at some moment under the shower, it suddenly makes click, right? Because but it's really like because you put the problems in your, in your mind and you thought about them, them earlier. And it's interesting that here, like the goal was solving the nested music problem, maybe not even thinking about provable security, just wanting to make a scheme that like could plausibly work right, yeah. with, with nesting. And it turns out, oh, as a side effect, it came up with a two-round uh, multi-signature scheme, which was novel. And it was like, whoa, wait, we, we should work on that first. And I think that's interesting because you, you as, as you say, like you, you're researching a problem, you have a particular problem in mind you're trying to solve, but maybe the solution is applicable to other things. Yeah, yeah, and it's really, it really tells something about like how research sh- should be done, right? It's not like you, you have this one problem and now you, you lock, in, lock yourself in a room for a month and then you come out and, and solve it. No, it's like really you have... You need to think about different problems, even if they're not exactly in, in your scope. And then maybe at some point you realize, okay, now I, I knew that idea from that area. I had a failed idea two weeks ago from that area. And maybe now I can put them together and suddenly... And, and so how do you sort of think about that applicability of those eureka moments to, for example, like to Frost? So you, you sort of have a, something that's... You want to cut down on the interactivity of Frost you were sort of able to attack this kind of problem in music world. Is it, is, is there a world where you can take those lessons and apply it to something that's totally novel? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I think like research mostly is idea driven in, in, in one sense. So you like, you, you, you get some idea and then um, some neat trick maybe that you discover. And then you try to find applications for, for that trick. And then if you, if you already know about problems in, in the space, it's more likely that you, find an application where it's actually right. relevant. Yeah. That's basically how it works. In, 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 in a way, I think the same can be said about music because its research was originally driven by this cross-input signature aggregation yes. <laughs> thing. But we sort of like, wait, no, we, we have a really cool multi-signature scheme and that that's like well-analyzed and, and much easier to think about and has like much more clear way to production than this other thing. Let, let's focus on that first. Music two was built with this nesting idea in mind in okay. the sense that, but we like we didn't include it in the paper, but we think we have a way to do it. But like, oh, we thought we have a way to do it now. Like a month ago, we discovered it doesn't really work. So it's still like an open research question. It's not like you, if you look at the scheme, you could think you could do it today, but please, please don't do it because it's still an open problem. We have to prove. Uh, we have to think about it carefully. Like maybe add some restrictions and and then write a proper security proof for it and. Uh, when you say a way to do it that both encompasses like what the actual algorithm is, but also how yeah. do we go about proving it? Yes. Because today security you, and functionality, yeah. Right, because you like music two is specifically designed to support nesting, originally <laughs> designed to support nesting. So it if you just look at the spec and do the naive thing, like it'll There is a it'll, natural thing you could do to uh, make nesting work in the sense that like uh, you, you get you, valid you, signatures you, out. right you can create a signature and the signature would verify but it doesn't mean that this specific way is secure and this is the problem we still need to solve while at the same time if you try to do the same thing with a three round music one either you'll conclude that you just can't make it work or you're gonna change the scheme in a way that will 
obviously and completely break it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so <laughs> and, 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 and this is what I was mentioning. This is really just only about the music inside music case. So not even talking about Frost inside music, which will probably or with um, that thirty-two on top, or yeah, with Taproot on top, more, or more cross input so, second generation on top. Yeah, there's a lot of open problems here. Also uh, with what you're what, what you're mentioning now. Um, basically, um, we have very well-defined security proofs for for a lot of our schemes like for example for music too in a specific setting we know we are pretty confident that it, this is secure but now if we if we move to practice we combine this with uh taproot tweaking like tweaking is really like offsetting the key a little bit and we use this for example in pip32 deterministic key derivation we use it in taproot we we may use it in other schemes so it's really like in practice, we put all those components together and there's really still a, a gap and there probably will always be a gap between like what we have proven secure in, in theory and what we do in practice. And I, I really hope like we, we, we'll never get it wrong in practice, but, <laughs> yeah. but I'm not entirely sure but, because but it, but it can be really subtle. It's interesting that I think if we would have come up with a new digital signature scheme, didn't write a paper about it, just like wrote a BIP up like BIP340, I would have expected, you know, whoa, 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 guys, you are deploying a new signature scheme. L let's analyze this first. Well, um, at, at this somewhat higher level of combining things, it seems unnecessary to ask these questions. And, and I think that that's a, a, a bit the, the, the same of like the lower level and the higher level. There, there's more of an expectation to have an academically rigorous look at the lower cryptography part and less at like you know this security of composition i'm over generalizing obviously yeah but i mean if you say it's it seems unnecessary it sounds like the famous last words of the applied crypto, uh, cryptographer yeah. right like yeah. okay it's it works until it doesn't work but yeah of course. I mean, yeah oh but i, I, I mean I, I, I agree with you um I don't mean to say we shouldn't ask this. I'm, I'm saying it seems that people are okay with the question not being asked. Yes. <laughs> Circle back to Frost yeah. and your um, shower thoughts about making Frost more robust. Like, mm -hmm. how did you approach that, and and what was the outcome? Yeah. So you're obviously referring to Rose, which is one of my uh, recent academic works, together with. Um, a lot of other people uh, from uh, with with Elliot, who also works at Blockstream, and with uh, a few co-authors in in Germany that I still know from university. So the problem in Frost is so first of all, it's nice because it has this two rounds property. But one of the problems really is that it's not what we call robust, and robust is really a very uh, robustness is a very specific thing, and it means that. Let's say we have a two of three setup and we start the protocol with like all three people, but only two of them are actually willing to sign, which is okay, right? Because we only need two to produce a signature. But maybe that, that other guy, uh, the third guy, is actively trying to disrupt the protocol. Maybe because it could be malicious, he could be uh, just offline, just not actively, of course, but of course covered by, by also active. So if, if, you, if you can prevent against active attacks, you can also prevent it against just being offline. So um, we, we start the protocol with maybe three people, and at some point, we need to commit to a specific set, subset. We need to say, uh, after the first round, okay, now let's finish the protocol with exactly those two signers. And now, either we pick the right signers, and they are online, and they're actually willing to sign the message, then everything is right. But if we pick the wrong two signers, um, then basically the protocol gets stuck, and we, we, there's nothing we can do except restarting and picking another group of signers. And um, this is a fundamental trade-off that um, Frost made in a sense, because um, if you look at the um, cryptographic literature, at the academic literature, there have been papers like pretty like decades old that essentially solved this problem of, of robustness. But like they're, the, the signature schemes or the signing schemes are pretty complicated. Like um, So as I said, like Frost has two rounds, right? And this makes it very, very nice. And like the best, I think the best known scheme in, 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 this, in, in the literature, like that we have known so far, requires seven rounds, even in the, in the best case. So even if, if, you, if there's no attack at all, you would 
require seven rounds of communication. And now, okay, this is like, if you look at the paper, like with my academic head on, that's, mm, yeah, you could do it. Like if you ask Peter as an engineer, it's like, ah, I know you. <laughs> what, seven <laughs> rounds? Seven rounds, it's crazy, right? <laughs> they wouldn't do this. And yeah, um, Roast kind of is, so yeah, but what, what the first people did is like, they, they realized that the reason why those old protocols, they're so complicated is that they have robustness built in. So basically the main idea of, I shouldn't say this because like also they had this nice idea of having a two-round scheme, but um, one of the main design decisions in, in Frost was basically, okay, just get rid of this robustness property and then suddenly everything becomes much simpler. And um, Roast is now an idea to um, add robustness again to Frost, but in a really like in a different manner. In a um, The idea of Roast is really like it, starts frost sessions in a, in a clever way. So I mentioned that um, when you run a frost session, it might happen that you pick the wrong subset of signers and then the protocol will get stuck. And Roast doesn't actually fix this directly, but Roast now is a clever way of starting a new session of the protocol, such that in the end, you know that you only start at, at most like a linear uh, number of, of sessions. I think you need uh, like if N and T are the parameters, you need like N minus T plus one sessions at most and um, this is a way um, where you can in, in some sense get the best of both worlds in the sense that if everyone is online and willing to sign then like your first first session that you would start would complete and you get this nice two round property but if you are under attack or maybe some of the signers is offline or some of the signers are offline then you spend a few more rounds but you can still run the like get the signature within a reasonable amount of time. This is the main main idea of, of Roast or the main thing it, it, it uh, achieves. And so in terms of applicability of both Frost and Roast, what, where are these things being deployed? Where are they being used? What are the applications you, you imagine? Peter has already mentioned that um, like all, Frost already is maybe more like a niche thing that, than music because it's um, really only helpful when you really like specifically need the threshold property and then if you add roast on top of it i think like roast is really helpful in settings where you not only need specifically the threshold property but where you also need a large threshold setup like um at blockstream we um we have this liquid sidechain which is run by a federation and currently has an 11 out of 15 setup this is already a little bit larger than what would you probably do at home i guess uh, <laughs> And Roast really makes sense, and also Frost really makes sense if you scale up to larger parameters. If you have large N and large T, and 11 or 15 is maybe, yeah, it's larger than 2 or 3, but it could be maybe like 50 of 100 or 60 of 100. And this is doable with, with Frost and Roast with this specific combination. So, And I think this is where it's going to be used. It's probably Roast is nothing that you would use in your two of three at home or even like a three of five at home or something like that. But, but maybe because for your two of three, you really just don't want to use a threshold signature right, yeah, scheme in the first that's place. That's why I mentioned also three or five. Like even let's say you have a three or five at home, I guess you wouldn't need roast because it's like, okay, like I picked those three hardware wallets to make a signature or uh, some of it failed, but like, yeah, replace the one that failed with, a, with another one and try again, right? You could do this restarting of frost sessions basically manually. So Rose really, I think, is helpful when you when you have some yeah federation of nodes around the world that are running automatically. They're supposed to uh, produce a signature every uh, one minute or every ten minutes, and then you need the automatic way of making sure that they really can produce a signature. I think this is where where Rose is strong, but it's, it's it's good for these federation use cases. But I think this is really like a niche case in a sense. So Peter, you have mentioned cross-input aggregation as the inspiration for a lot of the work that actually has been done to date. Let's talk about signature aggregation, maybe start with interactive full aggregation and sort of the cross-input aggregation history, and then we'll... Yeah, so l l let's first say what, what, what signature aggregation is. Um, it it's very closely related to a multi-signature. Um, but the, the difference is really, think of a multi-signature with multiple participants each signing, but they can all be signing a different message rather than signing all, all different. Uh, allow all messages to be different rather than the same. And um, 
Now, signature aggregation can be done interactively or non-interactively, uh, which refers to you know the the rounds of interaction at at signing time. I, is it possible for them to just create their partial signature now once, their individual one, and can a third party aggregate them, or do they really need to collaborate in order to produce that signature? Now, if we're restricting ourselves to interactive ones, which is certainly the easier thing to build, uh, there is a, a, a trivial way of turning any multi-signature scheme into an aggregated signature scheme, namely, everyone just signs everybody's message. Because it's interactive, they're talking anyway, like, uh, effectively the message could be like, here are all the messages and all the yeah, designers. Just take all the individual messages, concatenate them, this forms the message you, you or, or like put the, into the multi-signature. Or you say the message is key one signs message this, key two signs message that, key three signs message that, and everybody signs that. That, that makes an, an interactive aggregated signature scheme, like, just take a multi-signature scheme and, and turn it into that, and, and, and you're there. That is Modulo some subtle details, but <laughs> yes. yeah, let's not go into that, but just yeah. as a warning, so don't, don't do this at home. Uh, yes, of course, <laughs> don't of course. Crypto, sorry. <laughs> st 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 yeah. st still have your friendly neighborhood cryptographer have a look yes. at it. Um, Before you move on, it, that's just because of being able to actually tease out like private keys based on reused nonces or like what's the what is the actual issue that you'd be most concerned if i did that so what would the, be the first mistake i would make in the music paper i remember the, russell o'connor came up with this fairly far-fetched attack of like if you do this if you just do that what i just said and try to use that specifically in the context of bitcoin transactions with one signature uh, there was a problem but i don't remember yeah, I think what... it, there could be a problem if uh, you're a single party and you have like you have multiple messages that you that you want to sign you can be tricked into and you participate multiple times you can be tricked into signing the same one instead of different ones right it's like you you could be tricked into i think signing your message twice instead of only once and it's not even clear if that is a problem but i really may not remember the details and if you're interested look at the music one paper there's an appendix that exactly specifies the attack and, and the problems but yeah it's because this was sort of folklore knowledge of like, you can build an IAS out of a multi-signature scheme. Here's a way of, of doing that. And that, that paper is like, maybe don't do just that because... Apparently, <laughs> like if you, if you have a simple idea and, and it looks obviously correct and you try to, or it's secure and you try to really uh, prove it's secure, it can turn out that it's, there are actually subtle problems with it. Yeah. Interactive ag aggregate signature scheme we now know how to do that you know but, so we, we can take music one music two those can be turned into uh, an aggregate signature scheme if if needed and so that is something that could be used for say cross input aggregation um, but only under the condition that all the input signers are collaborating Right, um, and usually that is the case. Usually there's just one party in, involved, um, but say in a coin join transaction there are multiple participants. So, if such a scheme were to be deployed and you have a coin join, then uh, of course coin joins are at the same time the strongest motivation for wanting something like cross input signature aggregation. I think because think about it this way: every input in a Bitcoin transaction today has one signature. In, in sort of a music taproot world, they will in fact all have exactly one signature. That, that signature takes up some block space. But if we were to be using a cross-input signature aggregation scheme, there would just be one signature for the whole transaction. So that, that's a cost savings. And it is a cost savings that I wouldn't say, shouldn't call it a, a coin join, but like a pay join, where like A wants to pay, pay B and C wants to pay D. They can join these two transactions into A and B, sorry, A and C pay B and D. Um, and interestingly, in a cross-input signature aggregation world, this aggregate transaction would be smaller than the sum of the individual ones because there's only one signature rather than two. Um, so there's this economic motivation yeah. in... Now, that 
economic motivation is small. It's partially due to the fact that SegWit introduced a, a discount for witnesses, so those signatures are already relatively inexpensive. They also have a, a relatively low cost on, on the ecosystem, but th this makes the, you know, differential between the two uh, f fairly small. So it, it isn't a like, wow, th th this is going to incentivize everyone to start merging their transactions. But it, it, it is a nice thing in the sense of like, it, it gives a, a potential justification like, hi, I regulator, why are you merging your transactions? Being able to say, well, it's cheaper is, is a much better justification than like, ooh. <laughs> Makes sense. So that's interactive aggregation. Uh, it, it, it has complications. Um, all, all aggregate signature schemes that we want to do across more than individual inputs, like need consensus rules to, to work with them in, in the same sense that like, you know, as explained, like uh, in, in a way, there's a relation with batch validation where in, in batch validation, we're thinking of, well, you, you first run all the scripts, uh, pretend all the signatures succeed, but keep a list of all signature checks that have to be done. And now do all those signature checks at the end in a cross input signature aggregation world, it would be exactly the same, except there is now just a single signature provided rather than multiple signatures. And even technically, these schemes are very similar. So that the math that's used for both is comparable, except of course, in one case, you have multiple signatures that need to be merged together versus just one. So the, another reason to, to see why this requires a consensus change is really like the, what consensus supports now is Schnorr signature verification. This is really like an algorithm that takes a single public key, a single message transaction, and a single signature. And really like the, the primitive we are talking about here, the verification side of it would take multiple public keys, multiple messages, when they all could be the same transaction, but like a little bit different, okay? but only one signature. So really, this is a different interface already. Like you, you couldn't just do this with the current uh, Schnorr verification algorithm that we have in consensus code right and, now. And I think a more fundamental reason, like today you cannot spend any input without a signature, uh, assume it has a public key. Like that would be a problem if you could spend an input w without a signature. Yet, um, if we go to a cross-input signature aggregation world, a transaction with two inputs will there's only going to be one signature. That means there's at least one input without a signature. Uh, of course, <laughs> the idea is that signature will cover all of them simultaneously, but the rules cannot think about that. Any kind of cross-input aggregation scheme is going to require an additional consensus software uh, rule. The community didn't feel like it was worth waiting to more fully bake cross-input? Yeah, I think... Um, so when the discussions around Taproot, which North Signature started, th there were a whole lot of ideas, and and many of them in in you know were actively being discussed because there were like improvements to Taproot, there was Graftroot, there was Groot, um, and so forth, and how those would interact with signature aggregation is kind of unclear because there is a complication here is. Uh, software compatibility. So we, we, we want the property, obviously, that a change that introduces cross-input aggregation uh, is a software, and also that things that could be built on top extensions to the script language later are a soft fork with respect to signature aggregation already existing. And so th th this, this, this isn't a fundamental problem, but it, it's kind of annoying. Say, um, Imagine there's an opcode change that introduces something like an opif, just something that changes the execution path through a single script. You need to make sure that old nodes and new nodes agree on what signatures are being aggregated, even though some of them may execute a check sig that's being skipped and another, others that don't. So if you think about it, it, it it's non-trivial. Like, uh, uh, one possibility is doing like, well, whenever a soft fork is introduced that changes which opcodes are executed, 
you create a new separate batch for aggregated signatures. Like you just do the aggregated signatures that are according to the pre-soft fork nodes and then everything that's added or changed with respect to that, they, they go into an, a new bucket and you end up with two signatures, one for all the signatures or one aggregated signatures for all the things visible to old nodes and then another one for the additional ones that are visible to new nodes. That's one idea. Um, another one, uh, one that I'm, I think, more, more in favor of is, so Taproot has this internal key, which is like the, the special elevated key, which we believe to be, you know, the, the everyone agrees situation. Right, the common path, yeah. Common path. And that one involves no scripts at all. Like the, the, the taproot consensus rules say you can spend a taproot output by just giving a signature on the, in, on not the internal key, but on, on the tweaked key. And there are no scripts involved. So all the complexities about compatibility in script just don't exist. We could work on a system with cross input aggregation that just does aggregation of signatures on the key path spends. And this disappears, it, it means it isn't as efficient as it could be because you don't get the aggregation for signatures occurring in scripts. But we do believe that that's actually the exceptional case, not, not the most common one. Um, so that gives most of the benefit with small amounts of work. And why we didn't include this is just there were too many ideas at, at the time. Uh, those have mostly died out, I think. Uh, also, but also on the... On the uh, cryptography side right. still so you you said like you gave this trivial way or a naive way of, of creating a signature aggregation scheme uh, from a multi-signature scheme and now we, we have multi-signature schemes um, and you said like the math will be, will be pretty similar but it's actually if you look at the specifics of this you probably wouldn't want to use something based on let's say music or yes. music 2 or music 1 and any of these uh, because they're Kind of overkill for the kind of overkill, yeah. What what you actually need is a little bit weaker, and also this. Um, there are other issues when it comes to compatibility with with batch verification or with batch validation. One way to think about this is really like in a signature aggregation scheme. It's a little bit like a multi-signature scheme, but as you said, like the um, the verifier will will do the key aggregation because the verifier gets all the individual public keys and somehow would need to aggregate those keys. And if we do this in a music style, this key aggregation, then this key aggregation, again, is a elliptic curve computation, but we couldn't add this to, to the batch for doing batch validation. So we couldn't, to get, we couldn't batch it together with uh, signature validation or with uh, taproot commitment openings. So um, probably there, there are other signature aggregation schemes that more different from from music that would actually allow for um, for fetch validation. So yeah, I mean, really, it, it's like as you say, like you could construct it basically from music, but music is overkill, overkill. and um, that's the reason not to. I mean, the, the, the Laraneva scheme is simpler and exactly, and, yeah. and would work. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the scheme we have in mind is, is really closer to to Laraneva. And and I think that that's an, an interesting discussion about trade offs because. Clearly, when we're talking about taking some cryptographic scheme and building it into Bitcoin's consensus rules, that is, I think, a higher bar to meet than we're going to introduce Schnorr verification in the consensus rule, knowing that there are lots of things that could be built on top, but they don't actually become part of the consensus rule. Like music, you can use today. It, consensus rules know nothing about it. That is not true for the signature aggregation. The consensus needs to know about it. So I, I think there's a higher bar in, in like, well, even if we have agreement on how and, 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 and whether to do it is like, what scheme specifically do we pick? Also, uh, also when it comes to um, cryptographic uh, assumptions, right? Like all like provable security and cryptography is always relative to some hard problem. I mean, I mentioned like we can we can prove Schnorr signature secure if we assume that the discrete logarithm problem is hard and, and, and some other side-side conditions. And also like, for example, the mentioned Bilara Nevinskine differs from, from music in terms of what do we actually need to, 
assume as a, as a hard problem. And this is another question that becomes much more relevant now that you try to bake this into uh, Bitcoin consensus. And then there's half aggregation, which is different. How so? Like what we talked about so far is what we also call full aggregation. And it's, uh, we call it full aggregation because if you, you have ends, in a sense, like you have N parties, they all have their public keys, they all have their messages or the transactions, and the resulting signature you, you aggregate is really just, it looks like one, or it has the size of one signature. So it's really like you compress it to, like you have N parties involved and messages involved. Let's give numbers, like a Schnorr signature today, 64 yeah. bytes. Without aggregation, if you have N signatures, it's 64 times N bytes. With full aggregation, it's 64 bytes, regardless of how many signatures you have. With half aggregation, it becomes 32 plus 32 times n. So literally half of the signature becomes independent of n, and ha yeah, yeah. half of it remains. Or, or in other words, like if, if, n, if n grows, like the savings will uh, yeah, uh, tend to, to, to a half of the size. Yeah, asymptotically, full aggregation is constant. No aggregation is 64 times n, half aggregation is 32 times n. And so you get less savings, but the advantage really now is that half aggregation is non-interactive. And it, it's actually, it, it's a public operation. It really means like I have two Schnorr signatures or 10 or whatever. I know nothing about like the secret keys of those Schnorr signatures. So I, these are not signatures that I have generated. You're not I a just, participant. You're, I'm you're not a just... participant. I just receive some, some signatures. And now I can do this um, aggregation or compression operation. I can compress them into a half-aggregated signature. Then it's now smaller um, than the size of the, the sum of the individual signatures, but still um, is verifiable against all the messages and public keys. So you, you need to know all the public keys, all the messages and all the signatures. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. the same as in full aggregation. Yep. So like both of these are really compression mechanisms in a sense. And with, with half aggregation, we get uh, less savings in, the com in, in space and compression. But really the advantage is that now this is a in non-interactive public process. You just get some signatures and you, everybody can compress them. And so this means that at a transaction level, this is easier to do because the, the participants don't need to interact with each other. It, it would still require a, a consensus change, to be clear. This doesn't affect any of that. It, it requires a, a soft fork to add cross-input half aggregation as well. But at the signing side, it is simpler because, say, for a coin join, the individual signers now don't need to interact with each other. They can just produce their individual signatures, and whoever is coordinating the creation of the coin join, or really any participant at all, can just take all the signatures, put them together, and, and, and have a signature that can go on chain. But that's not everything. Um, <laughs> in fact, because it is non-interactive, there's no reason to stop at the transaction level. And this can be done at the block level too. It would be the miner in that case, or whoever is assembling the block that would take all the, the signatures in the individual transactions, but combine them into a single block-wide signature for everything. So that, that is a, a 32 bytes per signature over the whole block that disappears. It is, of course, would be, a, yeah, that savings would be, would be huge. And that's why that's a very interesting idea. But like, because it's really like not, it's crossing transaction borders, um, like the issues it could create potentially are. So for example, what this would mean, like, Pre-segwit, this would have been a huge problem because it would mean the miner is changing the transaction IDs. That's thankfully no longer the case uh, with SegWit, but it's still the case like we have this WTX ID, which is the, the, the witness transaction ID, uh, which is a hash of all the data in the transaction together with it witnesses. The version that ends up on a, in a block would have a different WTX ID than the version that's relayed on the network. So... These aren't fundamental problems, but th there are some engineering challenges for like caching and nodes uh, will validate signatures as they come in individual transactions and cache the results. Now they see a different version of that transaction in the block because the half thing is stripped out. 
is there a way to leverage the cash they have or do they need to recompute from scratch? One maybe more fundamental problem, uh, which is still open or we, yeah, we should really look at it, is how this um, interacts with, um, with, with adaptive signatures. So adaptive signature is another advanced signature technology, which, for example, allows you to do atomic swaps on the chain that just look like two normal transactions. So if, if you look at the blockchain again, you see only two Schnorr signatures and it looks like just two more normal transactions. What, what, what actually happened is an atomic swap. And basically the way how they work is that we set up our keys in a special way and then I, I send you a coin and because I have to sign this transaction, I have to publish my signature on the blockchain. You, you look at the signature and take uh, information out of it. And this now allows you to... Yeah, so, the, the, wrong the, way. <laughs> so the, the idea is you, both parties lock up their coins in a two of two music or an, any kind of aggregates. So both with a taproot path that like after some time they can take their coins back because you don't want to log, log them forever if one of them steps away. And now uh, one of them gives a signature to spend one of those to the other, but sort of in a damaged way. You don't give the real signature yet. You, you, you give us a signature and you sort of add an error term to it and, and you do that for both. So you, you say I, I produce two the two transactions, one that takes my money, gives it to you, the other takes your money and takes it, gives it to me. I sign them both, or for my side of it, but in a damaged way. And now, when I publish the real signature, you can look at the difference between, you, you can learn the error term by looking at the real signature and the other one I've given you, apply the error term to the other thing and take your coin. Yeah, but this, so, is, this so, could be done on ECDSA as well. Yeah, yeah. It can right, be, it yes. It can be, yeah. So uh, I know that harder. Alex Bosworth has been talking about this, I don't know, for mm -hmm. four or five years, but what is the interaction between so, half aggregation yeah. and, and so, removing that like property it, from Schnorr? The, the way it, the, the idea of this atomic swap protocol is really that like we have two transactions and we want to make them atomic, like either, either both of them happen or none of them happens. And the, really, the idea is really like we, we create our keys in such a way that um, if one of the transaction happens, then um, you're forced to publish the signature of this transaction on the blockchain. And then this uh, enables the other party to look at the signature, extract information from it and make the other transaction happen. And half aggregation, like if, if now this signature that's published on the blockchain would be half aggregated, then it's not the full signature that would be published there. We would exactly remove that part that you need to look at to make the second transaction happen. So this is how this would would interfere. And now, like the, as you say, it could actually like it can be done with ECSA. So one one very simple, of course, not very satisfactory solution would be okay. Like, um, if you want to run an adapter signature protocol, then resort to ECSA signatures. So, but one one maybe a little bit more clever approach would be okay. Like you. You could do it with Schnorr signatures, but maybe have a marker in your transaction that says okay, like this could be aggregated or this could not be aggregated. Of course, this. That's unfortunate because now you're revealing to the chain that like yeah, yeah, yeah. this is really a data carrying signature and this is not good for privacy obviously. And and of course adapter signatures are an alternative to say HDLCs which are used for exactly the same purpose today except they reveal hash preimage rather than you know using the signature itself as the data channel. So if we're going to, you know, oh, adapter signatures, yay, they're all indistinguishable now. And now with half aggregation, oh, wait, we need to add a marker to it to say it can't be aggregated. We're again saying there's a data carrying here. Like, how yeah. much is that better than just so, using yeah. the HLCs? And for example, one idea in, in that direction is um, basically uh, very similar to what you said for, um, for full aggregation. So maybe try to restrict this uh, to taproot key spans in the sense that like only signatures for those can be half aggregated and maybe this is enough to make sure that you can still all your run your unfortunately it isn't because the, the whole point of an adapter signature is that you would use it for the internal for the keypad spend um yes but i mean you you could say like okay aggregate only the the other ones and then i think i only aggregate the script ones no, no, only aggregate the, the, the keypad fonts. And um, I, I looked at this with, with Jonas and I think we, um, like we could the normal, just the atomic swap protocol, we could make it work with, with this 
with that restriction. And it's kind of an open question at the moment, like if this would cover all applications of adapter signatures, because like if, if this restriction is enough to not interfere with, with uh, adapter signatures, then this would be one way to maybe to move forward in the future, but it's kind of an open problem. Would this be considered a block size increase in the same way that SegWit was considered a block size increase? I don't think so, because it, it is, unless you think of Taproot as a block size increase too, I mean, it's more efficient use of the existing space, and thereby it's a capacity increase. But I think SegWit is, is pretty different because it's actually adding more bandwidth yep. that's being... I, I agree with that view, but um, there's one point you can make about verification time, because uh, you now, so the time you need to validate a half-aggregated signature, which basically is, the, let's say, the combination of 100 uh, signatures, it, like the space it needs, it's smaller, but it's still like this, the time you need to validate it is still this, almost the same as for 100 individual signatures. So in that sense, um, now if you use block space more efficiently, you can squeeze more signatures in the block, and this then requires, in the worst case, more, or or it, it could say in the best case, rather than the most most compressed case, you could have more signatures in there, and then this would require more verification time. So in that sense, it's a, not a block size increase, but it's a block verification time increase. Yeah, it's just like today there will be at least 64 bytes for every signature check being done. And with half aggregation, maybe that's the same cost can be per 32 bytes. The way the taproot rules already work, they actually require 50 bytes of witness data for every signature check being done. So if that rule is maintained, but maybe that rule shouldn't, <laughs> that rule doesn't really make much sense. And uh, yeah, I mean. No, but I, I tend to agree, like um, usually bandwidth constraints are much more important than verification time constraints. Like spending a little bit more verification time was, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing here, right? But I, I guess it's more acceptable than maybe increasing uh, the actual block size, the actual data that you need to, to send around. We've been talking a while about a lot of different things. Where do you see this all headed? Like, how do you see these things starting to gel and, and combine together? We've been talking a lot about the provable security of these schemes. And that is obviously one impediment for some, some combinations we have more confidence about than others. Uh, I'd say like the, the nesting question is much harder than some other questions and so forth. Um, but there, there is another question too, and that is standardizing all these things and integration in parts of the ecosystem because just having the consensus rules that comp are compatible with it and you know a spec or a scheme or a paper that says you can do half aggregated adapter signatures blah 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 it isn't enough there, there there's a need for how do you know how do we make things use them and interact and using them and so music too for that now which is making great progress that's not the end of the story, right? We will need probably how to integrate it in descriptors, how to integrate it in PSBT. That will raise questions of how does it combine with BIP32 derivation because everyone derives their keys that way. And there are obvious and less obvious ways that they can interact. We'll probably want to specify that. And I think for, for, for music too, that is fairly close. For Frost, that is further away. Nesting is even further away. Mm -hmm. uh, so is aggregation. So is aggregation. So the, it's not just a pipeline because it's multidimensional and it doesn't, you know, move forward at the same speed and on, on every aspect. But we, the whole provable security aspect is, is just one part and we shouldn't forget about the rest because multisig in Bitcoin, the, the threshold multisig naive thing, P2SH in 2012 was introduced for specifically that purpose because there was no address scheme to do multisig at the time. It took years before anyone used it because we really had no good way of making multisig convenient. And by convenient, I don't even mean user convenient, but like developer convenient. How, how do you develop an application that uses this and wants to interact with others? And th these are all very hard questions of a very different nature that also matter. 
I agree, yeah, and we haven't really touched upon the, the status of the specifications. Yeah, I think like the music too, Pip, as you as you are saying, like it's in a good shape, I think. But of course, like we need implementations there. Like for Frost, it's a, it's a little bit further away. And yeah, I agree. Basically, just basically I'm summarizing, right? So the rest is really further down the road. And maybe like we're talking about this now, maybe in two years we realize, okay, like there's much better way to introduce aggregation to the ecosystem or it's a stupid idea or I don't know. <laughs> like adapter signatures are everywhere today. And um, <laughs> yeah. I'd love that. <laughs> so that's a world we all want to be living in. Anything else on your mind? So we've had a somewhat scoped discussion about, I wouldn't say it's particularly well scoped, but it's been scoped somewhat. I'm talking about Schnorr and then multi-signatures and threshold signatures and Frost. But like, let's imagine we had another two hours to sit down. What would be other things that are on your mind that you're thinking about that you're excited about? In terms of, I'm not really thinking about it, but like one thing that always comes up and like I really would need another two hours and then have to be careful not to go deep here. But it's really like the question, okay, what can we, can we do anything at all about post-quantum security? Like if there's a quantum attacker, maybe. To be honest, I don't even think there's a lot we can do, but we should at least today. Keep think today, but we should at least keep thinking about this. This is a question that I that I often get. It's a good one. <laughs> well, thank you both for giving us almost two hours, and um, I will say it's been a pleasure to watch you both escape to different rooms and draw indecipherable things on whiteboards. Um, so thanks for coming in, Tim, spending the week with, with us. <laughs> What did you think about that conversation? I thought it was great. Uh, not to toot my own horn, but I thought it was a great chance to pull a lot of info out of those two. And I think the conversation about diving into the advanced signing protocols and multi-sigs versus threshold signatures and state of frost and roast and music too, I thought that was all really fun. But thinking about taking advantage of batch verification and signature aggregation and its future... I thought was really quite great. We talked about signature aggregation and the interest in that with Josie a couple episodes ago, but it gave me a chance to actually better understand it. So, Right. I, what you mentioned now was that you also thought it was interesting to see how the sausage is made a little more Yeah. Um, about when to roll crypto. Well, I just like the conversation about them referring to music one is broken and just like being very upfront and public about the fact that it's broken and the upgrades that they made and sort of like the shower thoughts that Tim had to make music to work and all of those things. It, it's, I think it's, it's fun. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, we hope to have one soon for you again. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to make it before our new year's, but if not, hope you enjoy the holidays and happy new year's. And if so, we'll talk to you before then. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.